You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, a place where we practice a deep and authentic welcome, where we listen deeply to where love is calling us next, and a place where with humility, courage, and compassion, we act for justice in the world. To learn more, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. I love music. I think people assume I'm joking when I state I would like an iPod permanently implanted in my head. But I am not. Music is my everything. Music is the spirit embodied to me. When I was young, I would ask a question to God and press the scan button on the car radio because I thought that was the way to get advice from the universe. Whatever song came up, whatever lyrics poured out of the radio by chance in that moment would be the answer to what I should do. I will tell you, life got rough during the hair metal bands and grunge rock years when you dutifully subscribe to this practice. As I got older, I did stop consulting the radio exclusively for advice on how to live my life. Instead, I started to use music and lyrics as how I would mindfully choose to show up in my relationships with myself and with others. I turned to music lyrics as theme songs to embody my spiritual worldview. Throughout the years, I entertained many personal theme songs that helped me and defined me, that I crafted into my own personal mantras. From Sarah McLaughlin, so just let me try, and I will be good to you. Just let me try, and I will be there for you. I'll show you why you're so much more than good enough. From Guster, I want to pull it apart and put it back together. I want to relive all my adolescent dreams. Inspired by true events on movie screens, I am a one-man wrecking machine. And Madonna... This is who I am. You can like it or not. You can love me or leave me, but I am never going to stop. As a therapist, I took the concept of music lyrics into my therapy practice. Every day, I challenge people to consider the stories they tell themselves. That the stories we observe or make up in our heads is really that, created. If you don't like a story or the song playing in your head, change it. Last year, as I was mentoring in our coming-of-age program, I found one of my newest theme song mantras when Ellis was performing as a part of one of the ceremonies. It so perfectly embodied all that I was living out in my life around this concept of how we create stories. As we listened to the lyrics, I started to tear up. How would it be if everything that you thought you knew was turned upside down, opposite from your point of view? How would you feel if the ground was really the sky and all of this time you've been walking when you could have been flying? There it was again, musical words creating a perfectly crafted theme song for me like a cosmic scan button being pressed on a larger-than-life radio, providing answers to questions that I didn't even know I was contemplating. 
Words in song grounded me in that moment of celebration, of hope, of connection, and opened my mind to spiritual themes that I continue to gladly wrestle with today. Come, let us worship. Our first reading is from a Hindu proverb that says, there are hundreds of paths up the mountain, all leading to the same place. So it doesn't matter which path you take. The only person wasting time is the one who runs around the mountain telling everyone that their path is wrong. <laughs> don't, don't be that person. <laughs> we all know that person. Don't be that person. <laughs> Our second reading is, um, is from the poet William Stafford, the poem is called The Way It Is. There's a thread you follow. It goes among things that change, but it doesn't change. People wonder about what you are pursuing. You have to explain about the thread, but it is hard for others to see. While you hold it, you can't get lost. Tragedies happen. People get hurt or die, and you suffer and get old. Nothing you do can stop times unfolding. You don't ever let go of the thread. Namaste. I bow to the divine spark in you. I bow to the divine spark in myself. This simple gesture and phrase asks us to seek in ourselves and each other that spark of divinity, that inner radiance, that divine light, and to greet it as holy. Namaste. What do we do when we encounter something holy? We recognize it and we bow to it. This theme, your life is a sacred text, invites us into this movement. It invites us to look in the mirror and say namaste to ourselves and then to each other. You all have perhaps heard the notion that the religious life the spiritual life here in multi-religious cross-cultural settings can be thought of as pathways up a mountain. You've heard this before? Yeah? It's a metaphor, like 99% of what we do in theology. Few of us think we are making literal statements about the ultimate unknowable reality. But it's a metaphor that I love. I mean, think about it for a moment. It's saying two things. It's saying at least two things. One is that all of these traditions, all of what we're doing together is taking us to the same place, that at the peak of the mountain, our spiritual selves all meet and we come into deep communion with each other and all that is. But it's also saying, and, and here I'm 
roughly paraphrasing theologian John Hicks, it's also saying that each of these pathways, each of these religions is a path and a practice to move us from self-centeredness to reality-centeredness. Now, there is some quibble in seminaries about whether each tradition is a path up the same mountain or if each tradition is trying to climb a different peak within the same range. <laughs> I don't know. But I love this idea. I love this idea that our work, our religious and theological work, is about engaging a path and a practice. For some of us, multiple paths, multiple practices that are all about helping us move from our limited and small and selfish view to a view that perceives more clearly what's happening in the real world and helps us to take our place within that broader interdependent reality. Now, there are some problems with this perspective. Chief amongst them is that it is, again, an idea coming out of a tradition located within white supremacy that suggests that there is a single underlying reality and that if we all progress far enough along our paths, we'll all come to see that same reality. Also, potentially, here in Unitarian Universalism, our universalism inclines us in that direction. It invites us to allow similarity to override difference. And so we need to work. We need to work on how we engage similarity, on how we engage difference, because as theologian John Thetominal says in his work on exactly this question of interreligious engagement, he says, similarity makes conversation possible. Difference makes it interesting and worthwhile. Really, I think we're still working on how to fully live these questions. There are similarities in where we're going, there are differences in how we get there, and perhaps differences, too, in our final destinations. This would mean that here in Unitarian Universalism, where we grapple with these questions, how we are together religiously and spiritually, parallels and mirrors the concrete workaday practices of how we are together in our multicultural and pluralist community. Similarity makes conversation possible. Difference makes it interesting and worthwhile. We are here, you and I, because of the thread that we followed. That thread that William Stafford writes about, the thread that goes among things that change but doesn't change, is the sacred text that is your life. Our theme this month invites us into this question, what is the sacred text that is our lives, and how might we read it? What might we learn in the process? And where I go with that question is to wonder about sacred reading practices and how they might help us to read the sacred text that is our lives. When I was preparing this sermon, I had a conversation with Amy Derrick. She's the DRE, the Director of Religious Education at the White Bear UU Church. Amy's been studying sacred reading practices, and I wanted to hear her thoughts on the questions I was asking and some of the assertions I was making. So much of what I have to say about sacred reading practices is, in, is deeply informed and influenced by that conversation with Amy. So, sacred reading practices. Most religions have them. Practices that are meant to help people like you and me as we read a sacred text so that we can get at what Amy called the fruits of what's in front of you. That text might be the Bible. 
It might be a Mary Oliver poem, it might be a song by Ellis, or that text might be your life. Lexio Divina, Pardes, Tafsir, Havruta, Florilegium, and Zen Koan study. These are all some of the methods of reading a sacred text, and while they come from different traditions, each practice invites us to engage what I increasingly think of as the five big ideas of reading a sacred text. My invitation to you is to bring these five big ideas into your life, to bring into your life one of these practices, to read your life as a sacred text and feast on the fruits of what is in front of you, what is right here. So, the five big ideas. The first is to slow down. Number two, Read carefully, let awe and wonder be your companions. Number three, pay attention and interpret with respect and humility. Four, feel more. And number five, don't go it alone, engage these practices in community. I wonder, can you see these ideas at work in your life already? You already see places where you're slowing down, where you're traveling with awe and wonder, where you're feeling more, feeling more in community. Can you imagine these being more a part of your life, more a part of your everyday? But as we know, we can't really talk about these things, can we? As with most practices, there is talking about the path and there is traveling the path yourself. We can talk about the mountain or we can put our boots on and climb. So let's do this together. Let's do this just a little bit, just a little bit of practice. Seeing the sacred in our lives, savoring the fruits in front of us, we're asked to engage spiritually the language, the text of our lives. So let's start by slowing down. Take a deep breath. Feel your feet under you. Feel the pew holding your body. Let your breath slow down. Know that in a little while, you will be invited to speak with the person next to you or just sit with your thoughts making a note to yourself if you want. Let your breathing slow down. This isn't a competition. You can't read your life in the wrong way. The first gesture of sacred reading is to slow down, and we slow down so that our hearts can set the pace more than our speedy, judgy, yak, yak, yakking minds. And as we slow down, we can bow to the divine in ourselves, bow to that creative spark that animates our lives, and then allow our awareness to grow, rippling out, knowing that the folks around you are just as sparkly as you are, 
and that we each have a different and unique spark of awe and wonder that is ours alone. And as we slow down more, I invite you to bring to your heart a sense of awe and wonder. Perhaps you feel it when you see a perfect sunrise or the glorious colors of the sunset. Maybe it's when you see the question in a child's face or feel the slippery water of the lake as it glides across your skin. Awe and wonder brings us to our knees, at least metaphorically, so if it's available, let your heart go there. Sacred texts ask us to engage words, and these practices all carry the caution to not go it alone, to do these practices in community. And so in a moment, I'm going to say a word, and in this space of slowness, in this space of awe and wonder, I invite you to repeat the word to yourself and see what comes up, maybe an image, maybe a sound, maybe a taste. And after sitting with the word for a few moments, I invite you to turn to the person next to you and quietly share what came up for you. Gently receive what came up for them. As always, if you prefer to be with your own thoughts and experience, you can place a hand on your heart and will respect your desire to have an interior journey. And let's try to do this sharing quietly, like we're in a library and want to respect the study that others are engaged in. I will call us back together by ringing a bell. Your word is feather. So why start here? When I was talking with Amy, she reminded me that even the most basic parts of our language are themselves open to interpretation, to shades of meaning, connotations that bring with them associations that are unique to each of us. She reminded me that slowing down with a sacred text isn't so much about the intention of the author as much as it is about the community that is doing the interpreting. And that in community, particularly communities that are so practiced at being cerebral like we are, that this slowing down to share what we see and feel and hear and taste in a word invites us to embody the pace of the practice. It invites us to embody what it means to allow the fruits of what is in front of us to be revealed through patience rather than grabbing the first shiny apple that we see. So before we close, let's sit just a moment in this energy together, the slower place full of awe and wonder together in community.
This has been a hard week for some, a scary week for some, a joyous week for some. We have followed our threads through different places and found ourselves here. The similarities make conversation possible. The differences make conversation interesting and worthwhile. The paths we travel may be the same, they may be different. We may be climbing the same mountain or we may be reaching toward different peaks. Let's keep these questions alive this month as we travel with these practices. Grateful to be on this journey together. May it be so. Thank you for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming community that finds strength in the diversity of identities of all who find inspiration and comfort here. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text FIRSTUNIV, that's F-I-R-S-T-U-N-I-V, to 73256 to make your gift. If you are able to join us in person for Sunday worship, we'd love to see you in church. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.